Hi, my name is Charlie. My name is Jovi. And you're listening to Bed, Bed Crime, Crime Stories, Stories, a weekly true crime podcast where we pour ourselves a drink and take turns telling each other the stories that keep us up at night. Hi, Jovi. Hi, Charlie. How are you? I'm living the dream. <laughs> living How the are dream. You? Just another day in paradise. <laughs> um, so we're we're doing a little bit of a stripped down version of bed crime stories tonight. Um, Nikki is on vacation, so uh, Jovi is kind of crashing, and she's uh, taking over Nikki duties today. <laughs> so we miss you, Nikki. Enjoy your vacay. Vacation. And we will see you next week. Um, so uh, I guess with. All that being said, I'm just going to go right ahead and just jump. do it. I'm going to jump right just in. Just start. I'm just going to jump right in. I'm going to jump in to this week's bed crime story. Yay. And um, so tonight I'm going to tell you guys about Andrew Kehoe and the Bath School Massacre of 1927. Ooh. Ooh. So my source this week, I, <laughs> I write on my paper like the template of my paper says sources there's only one source this week and that source is wikipedia i'm not gonna lie to you um but honestly i think that sometimes with these older cases uh like i said this happened in 1927 with these older cases you're limited on your resources Mm -hmm. because unless it's something that it's like around an anniversary or something along those lines you're not going to get a lot of like news articles about it so I really stuck to Wikipedia mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. for this particular episode. And sometimes I really like talking about these super old cases. So because this took place like over 94 years ago, we're so far removed from the story that it's a lot easier to talk about things, especially things that are as traumatic as what we're going to be talking about. Right. I agree. Yeah. So obviously I called it the Bath School Massacre. It is a school massacre so because of that it's obviously upsetting subject matter yeah so it's easier when you're like almost 95 years removed from the events yeah it's not something recent like five years ago or something so it's still fresh and right exactly and like granted it's terrible it's sad but yeah. You can take yourself kind of yes. out of... Yes. Yeah, exactly. For sure. So, um, yeah. So we're going to kind of jump right in right at the very, very beginning. We're going to introduce ourselves to Andrew Kehoe, who's obviously kind of our main protagonist of our story. So he was born in uh, Tecumseh, Michigan on February 1st, 1980... Or, nope. No, no. <laughs> nay, nay, nay. I was going to say, wow, is he yeah. a time traveler? <laughs> 1987, he traveled back in time. Uh, if I turn back time. <laughs> oh, um, no, so Andrew was born in Tecumseh, Michigan on February 1st, 1872, hmm. which is actually my mom's birthday. So, in 1872? No, but February 1st <laughs> is. And uh, sorry, mom, this guy is trash. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, you know. It doesn't like carry through with that birth date as like a thing, Mm-mm. like an omen of any of, of anything. So um, he was among the younger of 13 total children in wow. the Kehoe family. Yeah. Ouch. Um, he graduated from Te- Tecumseh High School. I even wrote it out phonetically, but it's not easy to say. Tecumseh High School. Um, and, from, and then he wound up going to Michigan State College, later known, of course, now as Michigan State University. Okay. And he earned a degree in electrical engineering. So, okay. <clears throat> yeah. So, smart guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, while he was at Michigan State, he did 
Um, he did meet the woman who would eventually become his future wife. Her name is Ellen Price. Um, she is known as Nellie Price, and that's who I'm going. That's how I'm going to refer to her in the rest of the story. Um, and Nellie was the daughter of a wealthy family from Lansing, Michigan. Okay. So wait, I'm sorry. Going back to her nickname. Yep. Her name is Ellen. Ellen. And they call her Nellie. Nellie. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I never heard that association of names. So. Yeah. Me either. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I wonder if it's one of those things of like a, a kid in the family couldn't say it right, so they mm. called you. So like mm-hmm. Nellie, Ellen, nah, nah, nah. there's lots of N's yeah. and E's and L's. So I wonder if that was kind of one of those things. Possibly. They don't explain. It was the late 1800s. So <clears throat> so um, after he graduates from college, Andrew heads east and he begins working as an electrician in St. Louis, Missouri. So... There in St. Louis, he actually wound up suffering a head injury. Head injury. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) Show her what she's won, Johnny. Um, So the injury resulted in Andrew being in a coma for two weeks. So like this was like no fucking joke, like biggie head injury. Not like little glunk ow, but like clunk coma. Like big time. Big big, time. Big time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. So after the injury, Andrew winds up moving home and he lived with his father. So by this time, by the time he moves back to the house, his mom had passed away. He's living with his dad. And his dad had remarried a woman whose name is Frances Wilder. And Andrew, not so fond of Frances. So bad omen for Franny. Poor Franny. Uh, Poor Franny. So on September 17th, 1911, Frances suffered severe burns when a stove she was using exploded as she was trying to light it. Hmm. As she lit it, the oil splashed back and landed on her and caught her on fire. Ouch. Yeah. Andrew just happened to be there and threw water from a nearby bucket onto her in an attempt to take the fire down or to quell the fire. But which I'm sure a lot of us know, oil fire can't use water. Mm -hmm. So he put water on it. Water did nothing. Frances actually wound up dying from the injury she suffered in the fire. Oh, shit. Yes, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder, you know, he totally did that on purpose. Well, and allegations kind of, so the rumor mill began, and there was rumors that the stove had been tampered with, Mm -hmm. but of course there was no proof, and nobody got blamed, and it was an accident, and... Allegedly. Allegedly. Mm -hmm. um, It was an accident. So there we are. That's where we be in 1911. (laughs) So in 1912, Andrew married Nellie Price, the aforementioned Nellie Price. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, about seven years later in 1919, which is the year my grandmother was born. Oh, look at that. I know, look at us, like very connected. And that's literally where the connections. Interesting. Interesting, but that's literally where the connections end. Um, So in 1990, the couple purchased a 185 acre farm just outside the village of Bath, Michigan. Okay. Um, and the person who owned the property that they purchased it from was happened to be Nellie's aunt. Because remember, I had said very wealthy, the Price family. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's funny that their last name is Price. Huh. Isn't that <laughs> funny? That's like the guy who was a conservator for Britney Spears's person. Mm-hmm. His last name is Wallet. Look, which at is that. interesting because all those people are doing are making their wallets Let's, fatter. Yep. Hashtag free, free Britney. Britney. Anyway, so. <laughs> Price. So, <laughs> my bad. So, um, they buy it from Nellie's aunt for just $12,000. And I did look it up. Conversion on that. 
322,000 in the year 2020. Wow. But still, if you're thinking about a 185 acre farm. Bad. That's a decent price. Thank you. That's a decent price. Yes. Huh. I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) So he, um, he paid $6,000 in cash and took out a mortgage for the the remaining 6,000. So. Okay. Um, so Andrew typically was known to be dependable. He would do favors for his neighbors. He would do volunteer work for them, help them out around their properties. But he was also described as being impatient and needlessly cruel. Mm. He once, big dick that he was, shot and killed a neighbor's dog (gasps) because it happened to wander into his yard and annoyed him with its barking. Stop it. Yeah, he's a pretty big douche. He also... Yeah, yeah. He also beat his horse to death because it didn't perform to his expectations. Are you fucking kidding? No. And like, okay, what were you wanting this horse to do? Seriously, it's a horse. It's going to walk. It's not going to cook dinner for you. (laughs) Legit. (laughs) Like, you're not going to see a horse in your kitchen with an apron on. Like, is dinner ready yet? Nay. I mean, honestly, I might beat up a horse if it did that to me. Oh, well, <sighs> well, okay. Disclaimer, no horses were <laughs> no, harmed in the making no. of this podcast. And we love horses. <laughs> we love we them. We love horses. We love them. Nay. Nay. Sorry. Okay. So, another reputation um, that Andrew had that, that was definitely shared amongst everyone was his tendency to be frugal with his money. So mm. he was a little bit cheapy cheap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but due to this, it actually worked to his benefit in, in the short term anyway. He was elected in 1924 as a trustee for the school board. Mm. Um, and he, he served on that uh, school board for three years. And then he wound up being the treasurer for one year. So his like okay. frugality worked to his advantage in this in this tendency. So or in this case. They obviously just look past him killing animals. Well, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Dude, we just kinda swept that right under the <laughs> Like I would I wanna see yeah. that stuff because if I was in charge and I saw that he killed animals, nay. <laughs> <laughs> Yet again, nay, nay. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay. It's kind of like, I understand that you beat your horse, but we're going to look the other way because you can, you right. know, you can balance a checkbook, I, don't, I guess. I don't, I don't like know. that. But anyway. Nor do I, but I it wasn't me making the decisions back in 1920. Um, <clears throat> four, 1924. <laughs> I literally just said the date and I lost it. So, um, now, during this time, though, his primary argument within his position, one of the things that he kept fighting for was to lower taxes, which sounds great, mm-hmm. right? We love Absolutely. we love low taxes, yes. except even if it meant not getting the school necessary equipment. Like, he literally wanted to spend, like, no money. Like, oh. no taxes because no. Like, no, no money. I don't want to pay taxes so the school doesn't get... I was going to say computers. It's 1924. <laughs> so the school doesn't get chalk. Right, you know? right, yeah. right, right. Which is crappy it's because yeah, it's kind of kids need to learn They shit. need chalk. They need chalk. <clears throat> Not so, to eat it, though. <clears throat> no, no. So Andrew was obviously 
difficult to work with. Mm-hmm. He would vote against the rest of the board with like very little reason why, just to kind of vote against them, just mm-hmm. to get his own way. And he would wind up arguing with the town's financial officers. And he would argue that he himself, Andrew Kehoe, paid too much in taxes. And he would he was trying to fight to get the value of his property reduced so he could pay less in taxes. Wow. Yeah. So like he actually wanted his property valuation to be short, smaller because it just meant he would save money in taxes. Like fuck the resale value. Daddy don't want to pay no taxes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So in 1922, just a little tax math for you guys. <laughs> that's always thrilling. In 1922, the Bath Township school tax was $12.28, nope, $12.26 per $1,000 in value. So the value of Andrew's farm was $10,000. Okay. Okay. So in 1923, it bumped up the taxes then to $18.80 per $1,000 value. And in 1926, it went all the way up to $19.80 per thousand dollar value. So in the span of what are we looking at here from 22 to 26 for four years, it jumped from $12 and 26 cents all the way up to $19 and 80 cents. Wow. So not a, so yeah. Okay. Sure. Andrew, not a small amount, Mm -hmm. but if you think about the actual math of that, this meant that Kehoe's tax liability went from $122 and 60 cents for the year in 1922 up to $198 for the year in 1926. So I want you to keep in mind that this is a $76 difference that we're talking about here. And it's not like it was over the span of a year. It's over the span of four four years. years. Right. And obviously uh, the economy changes, things change Mm -hmm. and taxes go up. That's just a way of life. Correct. That's how it happens. Yes. So again, 76 doll hairs. So in June of 1926, Andrew is then notified that his wife's aunt, the one who held the mortgage on the property, had begun foreclosure proceedings because guess who decided that he wasn't going to pay the mortgage anymore because fuck them taxes. Mm. Fuck them kids, basically. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, and she claimed that Andrew told her, if I can't live in that house, no one will. When she mentioned that she was beginning foreclosure proceedings oh, against him. Oh, snap. Yeah. In 1925, okay, so uh, in in the midst of this, in 1925, Andrew was appointed to temporarily fill the position of town clerk, but was defeated in the official election the following year in 1926. Mm. So now we have in 1926, he being foreclosed against for $76. <clears throat> and he now did not win the election for town clerk. Uh-oh. So this defeat, the tax issue, and this like seeming public rejection. And the head injury. Ed, uh, ding, ding, ding. Head injury made him like enraged him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this kind of sets in motion the events of what happens the following year in 1927. Mm. So his neighbor reports that for much of the year of 26 into 27, Andrew stopped working on his farm and the property began to fall in disrepair. He gave away his horses and the neighbor thought that Andrew might actually be contemplating suicide because that's, of course, we know a sign of, it's a sign, not the sign, but a sign that somebody may be contemplating suicide. They start to give away their possessions, right? right? Tie up loose ends, et cetera. Right, right, right. Um, So 
It's also important to note that by the beginning of 1927, Andrew's wife, Nellie, was suffering very badly, actually, from tuberculosis, which, of course, at the time, no effective treatment, no cure. Mm -hmm. So she's also now she's also staying in the hospital a lot. So, again, to recap, taxes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) lost an election, Mm -hmm. wife in and out of the hospital because she's super, super sick. Mm. Um, Now he's in like crippling debt. Andrew stops making the mortgage payments, the insurance payments, hence the foreclosure. So all of this stuff is just like piling, piling up. on. Yeah. yeah. There's no specific date that anyone can point to as the moment Andrew began creating this plan to stage the massacre. Um, but another one of Andrew's neighbor believes that the defeat for the town clerk was the catalyst. That was the spark that set it all in motion. So I also want to kind of remind you that in the summer of 1926, um, and I don't know why it is not specified in the article, but it is noted and it is important to note that Andrew did have access to the school during the summer ba- break in 1926 for whatever reason, whether it was because of the public office that he had held up to that point or whatever, but he had some sort of access to the school. Okay. And from mid 1926 on, he started to purchase more than a ton of pyrotol, which is an incendiary explosive that is commonly used by farmers to clear land. I, I need a red flag. I'm, I'm waving, <laughs> I waving my sure hand. I you're looking for. I mean, we can, I don't know. You can wave that makeup brush. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's a makeup. All right. Makeup brush. Makeup brush. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So, but, I mean, yes, red flag. But, like I said, it's an explosive commonly used by farmers to clear land. He's a farmer. Mm. So, it really didn't send up any red flags at the time right and in november 20 in 1926 in november andrew travels to lansing michigan to buy two boxes of dynamite at a series of sporting goods stores dynamite though to again remind you was also used on farms so purchasing small amounts from different stores helped to not raise suspicion right so they couldn't see exactly how much he was buying because he was spreading his wealth his wealth that he was so frugal about <laughs> to these places to correct. buy things to blow shit up correct mundo okay okay so um after hearing explosions coming from the property neighbors started to call andrew the dynamite farmer <laughs> which sounds like a pro wrestling wow. name and i really kind of i kind of dig it i could picture it i could totally picture the dynamite it. farmer yeah he would be like a guy in a farmer outfit but yes. also face paint yes yeah and carry around a stick of dynamite and throw yeah. it at people. Fun. Mm-hmm. Not an actual Not real dynamite. Dynamite stick. No, yeah. no. Like yeah. a prop. Yes. Um, in December, Andrew purchases a 30 caliber Winchester bolt action rifle. So lots of things mm-hmm. just kind of adding mm-hmm. up to debauchery about to occur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to May 18th, which is the day of the, like, events. Okay. <laughs> Um, I don't want to give away, like, exactly what happens, but just call it the events. Prior to May 18th, Andrew had loaded the backseat of his truck with metal debris that could be used as shrapnel during an explosion. He also made many trips back and forth to Lansing for even more explosives, Mm. as well as to the school, into town, to his house, and back around again. So he kept, like, making all these stops kind of all around town. From the back to the middle and around again? Correct. He was going to be there till the end. Okay, 100%. Pure dynamite. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so Ida Hall, who lived in the house uh, near the school, saw activity around the building on different nights during May. Early one morning, she saw a man carrying objects inside. She also saw vehicles around the building several times late at night. Mm. So, yeah. Ida mentioned that, uh, or she mentioned these events to relatives, but nobody ever contacted police. Go figure. Go fix. So, uh, Nellie, wifey, was discharged from the hospital following another treatment on May 16th. Okay. Um, and Andrew murders her. So, <gasps> sometime between her release on May 16th and the events on May 18th, she is killed. Oh my God. Yeah. Andrew puts her body in a wheelbarrow and places it behind the farm's chicken coop. She was discovered after the event. Um, her body covered in severe burns. What? I, I, wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. Do you think he did it because he was afraid that she would put together what he's doing and try to talk him out of it? Um, or do a, you think he just did it? I think it? he was covering his tracks. I think mm-hmm. he was literally getting rid of okay. everyone. Got it. Got I think it, was it, kind it. of the, the point got he was it. making there. Like, yeah, I'm out, you know. Gotcha, gotcha. <clears throat> so, um, at 8.45 a.m. on Wednesday, May 18th, Andrew notate. Nope, he doesn't notate anything. <laughs> he notates nothing. That's not even, like, what's written at all. At 8.45 a.m. on Wednesday, May 18th, Andrew detonates the firebombs in all of the buildings at his farm. So, he had wired up firebombs of this pyrotol stuff wow. all all around all of the buildings and the outbuildings that are at his farm. So as it's burning to the ground, neighbors run to the farm and start to try and save people who yeah. are inside the house, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they go into the broken window of the farmhouse. They're looking for survivors. They find nobody in the house, but they start to like pull furniture out of the way so that way it doesn't continue to catch on fire so they're trying to like get stuff out of the way before it spreads too much okay smart very smart well as they're doing this andrew gets in his truck and like fucking flees oh my god so as andrew flees the burning uh the burning property in his truck he stops to tell somebody who's arriving at the property to the fire that they should get to the school and then drives off Oh, yeah. not foreshadowing no. at all. Yeah, not like showing your hand, bro. Wow. Way to, way to stay cool, bro. <laughs> yeah, way, way to, to stay cool. Way to stay calm. So, <clears throat> classes at the bath school had begun, had begun at 8.30 a.m. Andrew set an alarm at 8.45 a.m. that detonated dynamite and pyrotol mm. that he had hidden at the school. Oh, my God. And basically, the way that they described it is he created a way for there to be like shoots yeah from outside into the basement of the school and that's what he was shoving down these into the basement so there was all these fire bombs planted and then wired to detonate with when this alarm went off at 8 45 wow yeah wow yeah so rescuers that were on their way over to the farm hear the explosion at the school and turn around and go back to the school because yeah hi yeah the initial explosion, just the first explosion, killed 38 people. Holy shit. Yeah. Mostly. Children. Kids. Oh my yeah. god. Awful. 
So eyewitnesses and survivors were interviewed afterwards, of course. Yes. Um, first grade teacher Bernice Sterling told a reporter that the explosion was like an earthquake. She said, quote, the air seemed to be full of children and flying desks and books. Oh, my God. Children were tossed high in the air. Some were catapulted out of the building. That's awful. That's awful. That is terrifying. Awful. So the north wing of the school, the north wing of the school had collapsed. Um, And like the edge of the roof was all the way to the ground. So like basically like collapsed in on itself. Oh my goodness. And a witness recalled that there was a pile of children of about five or six kids under the roof. Like couldn't get out. That's absolutely heartbreaking. Disturbing. Yeah. So (sighs) Andrew drives up to the school. Because apparently, leaving the scene of the crime, foreign concept to Andrew Keogh. Apparently. Yeah. Apparently. So, well, I mean, he left the scene of the crime at his house, but now he's arriving at the scene of his other crime. So, I mean, I guess you can't be in two places Does he want the praise for it? Does he want to hear creeper. everybody being like, oh my God, like, is that going to get him off? Well, here is the reason why he did that. Oh, okay. okay. So, Andrew drives up to the school about a half hour after the first explosion, and he sees the superintendent. So, he calls the superintendent over to his truck. And a witness testifies that he sees the superintendent and Andrew fighting over a long gun. So probably the 30 caliber Winchester mm-hmm, mm-hmm, bolt mm-hmm. action rifle that I was telling you about before. Um, and then Andrew detonates the dynamite that he had stored in his truck, instantly killing himself, the superintendent, a retired farmer that just happened to be nearby trying to save survivors. Oh and an eight-year-old second grader named Cleo Clayton who had survived the blast at the building, wandered out of the school, and then was killed by the shrapnel of the exploding vehicle. Oh my god. Depraved. Wow. Just completely fucked. Holy shit. Completely fucked. Yeah. It's awful. I know. So, the truck explosion spreads debris over a large area and caused extensive damage to cars parked up to a half block away with their roofs catching on fire because of the burning gasoline coming from the truck. Right, right. Um, It injured several others and mortally wounded the postmaster, Glenn Smith, who lost a leg and died before making it to the hospital. A witness stated that one of his crew bound up the wounds of Glenn Smith, the postmaster. His leg had been blown off. Oh my God. Seriously. Um, There was so much disaster that the local drugstore was used as a triage point and the city hall was used as a temporary morgue. Yeah. Hundreds of people worked in the wreckage all day into the night in an effort to find and rescue anyone who had was pinned underneath again, specifically kids. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, area contractors sent their men to try and assist. And many other people came to the scene in response, just anybody nearby, um, to try and help. Eventually, 34 firefighters and the chief of the Lansing Fire Department did arrive, as did several Michigan State Police officers who managed traffic to and from the scene. So they kind of controlled the the area. Yeah. Michigan Governor Fred W. Green arrived during the afternoon of the disaster and assisted in relief work, helping to cart bricks away from the scene. The Lawrence Baking Company of Lansing sent a truck filled with pies and sandwiches, um, which were served to the rescuers at the community hall. Nice. So again, like That's, literally everybody's trying to help correct. whether it be finding survivors or feeding yeah. or helping the wounded. That's awesome. And even That's like awesome. not just the town itself, but even the area towns nice. were all banding together to try and help. So during the search for survivors and victims, rescuers found an additional 500 
500, 500 pounds of dynamite. Holy which, shit. Yeah, which never detonated in the south wing of the school. So as they're searching, they pause the search so that way the Michigan State Police can come in and disarm the, the dynamite. And attached to that grouping, they found an alarm clock time to go off at 8.45 a.m. Um, but investigators conclude that the initial explosion um, may have caused a short in the second mm. set of bombs, mm-hmm. preventing them from detonating. Thank God. So, for real. Like, it sucks <clears throat> that the first ones went off, but thankfully... It this, did what it did yes, to prevent the second. Because it would have been carnage. ten times worse. I mean, it was already carnage. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but God damn. Yeah, he's... The man is depraved. Well, was. He's yeah. super dead. Super, super dead. Um, they searched the building for more explosives and then, of course, returned to the recovery work once they didn't find anything. Police and fire officials gathered um, at the Kehoe Farm to investigate the fires. Now, at the time, they searched for Nellie Kehoe around the state because they didn't know that she had been released from the hospital. So for that whole first day, they're looking to find where she is. Um, but her remains were actually found the day after the disaster among the ruins of the farm. Damn. Yeah. All the Kehoe farm buildings were destroyed. The Kehoe's, Kehoe's, Kehoe, Kehoe, the Kehoe's two horses had burned to death, trapped inside the barn. This is awful. This is awful. Their legs had been bound together with wire, preventing their escape or rescue um, if anybody had gotten there before the buildings blew up or caught fire. Oh, my God. This guy was fucked. Yeah. Investigators found a wooden sign wired to the farm's fence that held Andrew's last message, which said... Criminals are made, not born. Wow. Wow. Yeah, this guy was... Wow. Fucked up. Wow. Yeah, they're made by head injuries. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, they are. Yeah. Uh, People from across the world express sympathies uh, to the families in the community of Bath, including letters from some Italian school children. One fifth grade class wrote, quote, even if we are small, we understand all of the sorrow and misfortune that has struck our dear brothers. Oh, Goober. I got chills. I know. That's so I know. sweet. Um, another Italian class wrote, quote, we are praying to God to give to the unfortunate mothers and fathers the strength to bear the great sorrow that has descent on them. We are near to you in spirit. Oh, my God. Boobala. Oh my god. I, I want to hug all these children. They're all I no, I know they're all probably dead all now, probably but like <laughs> But you know what I mean. I know like, I tease. I yeah. tease. Um there were a total of 45 deaths associated with the Bath School massacre. So 43 actually at the school itself and then two off property. So Andrew's wife, Nellie, of course, the day before, Mm -hmm. and then one person who had died at the hospital, but 43 at the scene. And it is still the deadliest school massacre ever in the United States. Wow. And it's like in the top six worldwide. That's insane. Which is crazy. Yeah. Um, Andrew's body was claimed by one of his sisters and his body was buried in an unmarked grave in a pauper, in the pauper section of Mount Rest Cemetery in St. John's, Michigan. Why can't I talk? It's like literally the last two sentences. <laughs> My God. Andrew's body claimed by his sister. Body in a grave. <laughs> a marked grave in the pauper section of Mount Rest Cemetery in St. John's, Michigan. 
The Price family buried Nellie Price Kehoe in the Lansing Cemetery, but under her maiden name. Good. Good. Because yeah, fuck that guy. Good. Because fuck, fuck that guy him. right in the ear. In the ear. So, yeah. That's the Bath School Massacre story of 1927. And that was actually a listener uh, request. Yes. From one of our more depraved listeners. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, actually, it was a listener request from Jovi's... Uh, Stepdaughter. Yes, yes, So, yes. Um, yeah, I, I teased her when she suggested it to me because it was with that along with another mass murderer suggestion. I'm like, bro, <laughs> do you want to tell us something? Because <laughs> What are you trying to say here? The fuck. <laughs> so, yeah, but so shout out to you, my homie. Yes, yes. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. But, uh, yeah, so that's, that's this week's episode of Bed Crime Stories. Damn. Like... I'm sorry, when you think 1920s, you don't think, like, you don't want to think that shit like that went down. Correct. And especially, okay, so maybe it's just my own naivete, but, and I'm guessing also the fact that he had, like, a degree in electrical engineering, Mm -hmm. he was able to figure this out. Yes, absolutely. But the very idea of, like, setting an alarm clock to detonate bombs seems incredibly advanced for 1927. I agree. I agree. Like, what kind of alarm clock? Like, was it like a like Was it a one rooster? of those things that was like... Oh. See, I'm picturing him carrying around a rooster and just going... <laughs> Kaboom! <laughs> um, no, I don't think that was it. Okay, okay. Um, but, you know, I'm like, imagining like an old-timey alarm clock with the two bells on oh, top yeah, that kind of look like thingy. Mickey Mouse and they're like... You know, that type of thing. Probably. Kaboom. <laughs> That's probably yeah. more likely than a rooster. But so. like I just, like I said, like the technical prowess that it takes to have constructed that in 1927 is, and again, forgive the wording here, but is, it's impressive. Yes. Not that I think what he did was no. impressive. No. But the ability to do so is impressive. And it's a shame because he could have used his knowledge to do much better things use, than yeah. to blow up a school over a $76 tax increase. Like, correct. And look, the whole thing is, is $76 tax increase, like, set... So, obviously, losing the election really set things in motion. Then, on top of that, was the $76 mm-hmm. tax increase, which is just bollocks. Mm-hmm. Then, on top of that, was the fact that his wife was sick, and she was in and out of the hospital, so it made them in debt. Yeah. All of these things, individually, are, like, nothing. Mm-hmm. And together... Well, I, okay. Again, kind of well, to walk yeah, back the whole thing with the wife nothing. with the wife being sick. The wife being sick is not nothing. I'm sorry. The $76 in taxes that's and you losing an election, that's nothing. That's nothing. That's nothing to murder children yes, over, okay? I agree. You fucking psycho. I agree. Your wife being ill, I can empathize with that making you go a little cuckoo. A little cuckoo, yes. Not killing but people cuckoo. But it's the wife being sick part that I understand, not that it's driving you into debt. You figure that shit out. Right. But none of it, none of it, together, separate, in pieces, what have you, justifies creating all of these bombs and killing all of those people, particularly all of those yes. innocent children. Yes. Agreed. And the age range of deaths went from as young as seven years old to as old as 74 years old. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And it's it's things like, like that happen like this. Not just this mass murder or anything you don't want history to repeat itself correct and it's very scary because i know we've had a lot of school shootings yeah unfortunately yeah and they're all very sad but this 
terrifies me. That's scary. Because, well, they're all scary, but well, that's scary. No, no, no. Scary. They're yeah. absolutely not <clears throat> taking one thing away from another, but imagine in this day and age with how explosives are, how mm-hmm. t- it would be ten times worse. Well, even just thinking about the progression from this in yeah. 1927 to, like, the Oklahoma City bombing. Right, right. And you look at that, that was... A vehicle filled with explosives that yep. took out an entire side of a giant building. Yes. Yes. Like, again, the progression in time from the late 20s to the early 90s mm-hmm. and just that those 70 years, the difference it made in technology to how many more people he was able yep. to kill in Oklahoma. Yep. And yeah, you're right. Like, as we get older, as time goes by, as technology progresses, the it, the scariness of it compounds. Absolutely. So yeah, it's um, it's crazy. It's it's crazy. It's scary. It's, it's sad. That was a great story. That was a really great story. Very sad story. Very um, sad story. Obviously, uh, you guys are listening to the episode, so you've already seen the the. Uh, blurb about it on your Instagram or on your wherever you're listening to us but we're going to put a trigger warning in this one about yeah. the the deaths of the young children because this one is it, it's a this one's a pretty rough one so yeah um but as always guys thank you so much for listening please find us on social media Instagram Twitter at bed crime stories uh shoot us an email at bedcrimestoriespod at mm-hmm. gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we love getting your emails. We love your listener suggestions. Um, we appreciate you guys throwing ones out for me. Because honestly, I've never heard this one before. So um, when it came through in the suggestion from Jovi's stepdaughter, it was, um, it, I, I enjoy it because I get to learn something new. Absolutely. Plus, I get to share with you guys maybe one that you haven't heard before. So um, social media, email, Make sure you like, subscribe, rate, review. Um, if you leave five-star reviews, it gets us in front of other people so they can listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. So we appreciate that. If you do that, tell a friend. Yep. Um, we want to spread the good word. Spread the good word. Well, no. Spread, spread, spread the, the bad mm, words. Yes. The bad words. Spread the... Spread the bad words yes. to your fellow man. Yes. Um, but yeah, so thank you guys again so much for listening. We love you all. Please be kind to one another. Um, we'll see you all next week, but until then, sweet dreams. Our theme song is the song Industrial Music Box by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash by backslash 3.0.